Okay, are we ready? Okay. So we want to welcome those who are joining us online. And um, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, we've read this every week for the last few weeks. But it's sort of the theme for the month of December for us. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption at, as sons. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And uh, this month we are looking at some of, really some of the amazing ways that God has been preparing for the arrival of his son. And the details are amazing. Last week, we looked at the book of Isaiah. We saw a lot of very specific prophecies concerning Jesus. In fact, the prophecies were so specific and so accurate, even though they're like 700 years before, that for many centuries, critics came up with all sorts of things to try to discredit the book. The big one was there really wasn't one Isaiah. There were two Isaiahs. And the Isaiah who wrote all the details of Jesus's birth and his arrival and his life, that was actually written three or four hundred years after Christ. And of course, God had an answer to that. We talked, we shared the story about the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in the late 40s. And it really kind of stretched out into the 50s and 60s and 70s, too. And, um, and there was a group of, of, um, of um, people called the Essenes who were looking forward to the Messiah. And one of the things they did is they copied by hand all the manuscripts from every Old Testament book except for one. And for Isaiah, they, after we finally had pieced everything together. Some of them were actually whole scrolls. There were 22 copies of the book of Isaiah, all written before Jesus came. So, so God just had a way of just, in a very miraculous way, and the details spread out over many centuries. You can listen to the uh, recording from last week if you want. But God really shut the mouth of the critics, didn't he? So today, we're going to look at some details concerning the town of Bethlehem. And you could say, were those all coincidences? And we're going to say, no, because it was God working behind the scenes in small but yet significant details, again, over a period of centuries. Okay, so, so let's talk a little bit about Bethlehem. By the time Jesus came around, all the Jews that were serious about studying the scriptures, they all knew that the Messiah had to be born in the town of Bethlehem. You can remember the conversation recorded in Matthew 2 when the wise men or the Magi, they came to Jerusalem and they said, they kind of, you know, they said, uh, we're here to worship the newborn king. We've seen his star in the sky. And we're going to talk a little bit about this next week. But uh, 
they said, where exactly is he? Where is he? And Herod, the king, he went into kind of shock, kind of panic mode. He calls all the scholars around. Well, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they all said, no question about it. Oh, in Bethlehem. And they quote from, my, from Micah chapter 5. And uh, it's one of the over 300 specific prophecies um, in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. So why don't we take a look at Micah chapter 5. And let's start in verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clouds, clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Talking about, obviously, the Messiah. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Okay, so reading that, no doubt Bethlehem is where the ruler or the Messiah is going to come from. By the time of Jesus, by the way, how, when was Micah written, the prophet Micah? Does anyone know? Seven to eight hundred years before Jesus. We don't know exactly. A long time ago. I mean, just think about seven centuries from now, you know. That would be back in what, the 1300s, 1400s? A lot happens, right? So, so, um, so for centuries, the people of Israel knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. But it also in this passage speaks of his purpose on earth. He was going to shepherd his flock. He was going to be the good shepherd. It also says he was going to be great to the ends of the earth. It also says he will be our peace. Remember last time we last week we talked about how Jesus is going to be one of his names is going to be the Prince of Peace. And I like this. It's obvious that this had been planned since the beginning of eternity. Notice there the last part of verse two. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So there's no question that the Messiah the king, the savior that was going to come was going to be born in Bethlehem. However, it didn't quite happen the way that a lot of people thought. Actually, it happened in a very remarkable way, totally unexpected. There were so many coincidences that lined up. And of course, we know it wasn't a coincidence. It was God planning things. And he had been weaving all these things together for centuries. Well, we're told here in Micah 5, since the beginning of eternity. So let's talk about how it's happened. And we should probably say, obviously, the scriptures doesn't give every detail of every event that happened in the life of Jesus. But we are given quite a bit 
concerning the birth of Jesus. So what was God's plan here? He had a plan. And there's three things I want to really mention in particular. You know, first of all, and this is very significant, Jesus was born to a poor couple. And that couple was Joseph and Mary, right? They lived in the city of Nazareth. And Nazareth was known, we know this from the secular writings, it was known as probably the poorest town in all of Israel. And I could probably explain a lot of reason why that and, and all that, but that doesn't really make any difference right now. In fact, there was a saying that went on that was, um, that was popular in the time of Jesus. Can anything come at good after, can anything good come from Nazareth? In fact, who said that once? Nathaniel, remember? When he was told about Jesus by his brother he, or by his friend, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was kind of giving a famous quote. That's how this was a very unlikely place. So this is where they lived, and this is a poor couple. Then there's the whole thing about the census. And we should probably read Luke 2, the first several verses. Let's read the first five verses, actually. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. He was the emperor of Rome. That a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, meaning of all the Roman Empire. This is the first census taken while Quirinius, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So what was the purpose of the census? The, the census, kind of like censuses today, are used to see who's living in what area where they can, where the government can kind of allot the right amount of resources and money. And especially for Rome, this was important for taxation because everyone in the Roman Empire had to pay taxes. Unless you were a Roman citizen, you didn't have to pay or not much, you know. So it was very important that they knew who was out there. We do it in this country, what, about every, what, 10 years. The Roman Empire, because they were kind of greedy, <laughs> they did it every five years. And this went on for, how long was the Roman Empire around? A thousand years, almost exactly. And perhaps the last hundred or so years, we don't have a lot of the censuses recorded because Rome was sort of falling apart. But they were pretty regular. Every five years, they gave a census. However, this was the only time that the census, at least it's recorded, that you had to go to your hometown, to the place that you're from. So out of, what, 200 times that Rome did this, there was only one time that you had to go back. I mean, actually, it created so much chaos. The Romans thought, this is crazy. Let's never do this again. You know, who had this idea? You know, and... Uh, 
And it just happened to be the exact time that Mary was expected to give birth. Was that a coincidence? No, because remember, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. And so somehow he calls, God calls some of the rulers there in Rome. Hey, I got a good idea. Let's have everyone kind of go back to their place where they're from, where the ancestors were. And that's exactly what happened. And so even though they lived in Nazareth, they had to go to Bethlehem. And Mary, because she was very much expecting, she needed to go too. And because of the unusual circumstances about her pregnancy and all that, you know, Joseph probably didn't want to leave her in Nazareth, you know. By the way, if you're in good shape and not pregnant and not ready to give birth, it's still a two to three day walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so uh, we don't know how long it took is one of the details. We don't know. Of course, we always see the little Christmas cards. Mary was on a donkey. That is not in the Bible. It could have been. But Joseph and Mary might not have even had enough money for a donkey. We don't know. But anyway, they had to go to Bethlehem. Okay. The third thing that's kind of important to kind of know. <coughs> so one is that they're kind of born of a poor family. Two, the census kind of threw everything in confusion. And the third thing was finding lodging was a very hard task. The crowd was, the town was crowded, probably because of the census. And unlike Jerusalem that had lots of places to stay, in Bethlehem, he just talks about there's no room at the inn, implying maybe there's only one place to stay. And she was obviously getting ready to go to, to give birth. Someone directed them to one of the birthing caves for lambs. We're going we're to mention that in just a minute. But Luke 2, verse 7, we don't have it up here. But it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. Now, probably the Jewish scholars, when the king of Israel came, when the Messiah, they probably never dreamed that Jesus would be born in a stable, a cave. That just didn't quite seem right, did it? You know? But God had plans, you know, and I'm sure Joseph and Mary, I mean, things started off kind of great. Angel comes to Mary. You're going to have a you're going to have a baby. You know, you're going to he's going to be the son of God. Then he speaks to Joseph. You know, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Everything was kind of going to plan into this census came around and uh, and then they get there. And there's no room. And they, you know, someone kind of says, hey, there's some stables. There's, there's some stalls over here. You can kind of, you know, because it looks like you're going to have that baby pretty soon. And do you think Joseph and Mary were kind of thinking, God, where are you? This wasn't exactly the way I thought this was going to happen. And you know what? A lot of times in our life, things don't come exactly. We, they don't happen exactly the way we picture them, do they? But God knew something. Now, 
Let me give you a little bit of background to Bethlehem. <clears throat> let's go back to Micah chapter. Well, let's don't. We looked at Micah chapter five, but let's go to Micah chapter four now. Just a few verses before. And let's kind of start in verse six. And this is, of course, talking about the coming Messiah too. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcast and even those whom I've afflicted. And I'll make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. It's talking about God just kind of takes people from everywhere. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. Talking about the eternal reign of Jesus. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. And then in chapter 5 it says, but you, Bethlehem, you know, too little to be counted among the clans of Judah, you know, from you will come forth a ruler. So let's go back to verse 8 in Micah 4, and it says, as for you, tower of the flock. You may even have something in your Bible that kind of a little footnote, but that tower of the flock in Hebrew is Migdal Eder. And it means literally the tower of the flock. And Migdal Eder, as I'm going to explain, was always associated with Bethlehem. In fact, he was located right outside of Bethlehem. And um, and Bethlehem, the tower of the flock, uh, Bethlehem had been known for centuries and centuries as having great grazing hills around Bethlehem for like sheep. And uh, this tower of the flock was a tower that had been built. I think we'll probably show a picture in a few minutes of where the shepherds would kind of look out on their fields to kind of watch out for wild animals because there are a lot of sheep around there. And of course, sheep is like a magnet to wolves and wild beasts, right? Well, the first time Miguel Eder is mentioned in the scripture is all the way back in Genesis. So let's go to Genesis 35. Now you might be thinking, what are you talking about? Why are we looking at Genesis and Hebrew words? I'm going to explain in just a few minutes. But Genesis 35, starting in verse 19. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. First time Bethlehem's mentioned, way back in the book of Genesis. It's an old city. Jacob set up a pillar over a grave. By the way, in Bethlehem, Rachel's tomb is still there. It's a very sacred place for Jews. Um, and uh, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day, and even to this day. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder, or at Migdal Eder. And uh, Bethlehem, from this point on, always seemed, to, it kept coming up in the scriptures. Like the book of Ruth. Remember, Ruth was 
from Moab, but she went back with her mother-in-law to a little town called Bethlehem. And God had arranged for her to meet her future husband, who was named, who knows? Boaz. That's right. Exactly. And Boaz actually and Ruth, they had children, had children who had children. In other words, they became the great grandparents of who? King David, because David was born in Bethlehem, right? And uh, in fact, not only was he born there, he grew up there. And what did he do as a child? He was, in fact, even when the prophet came to the house of Jesse, because the Lord told, uh, uh, told Samuel that the, the, the next king of Israel is part of here, and he kind of looks at all the sons, and he says, no, no, are you sure you don't have another son? Well, there's David. He's out where? In the fields with the shepherds, because that's what Bethlehem was known for. And so they bring him in, and you know the story. He becomes the king. And, um, and of course, we read last week in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God tells David that there's going to be an eternal kingdom set up, you know, through the Messiah, and he was going to be one of his descendants. And that's why, as we said last time, Everyone, all the Jews knew, oh, yeah, the city of David, Bethlehem, you know, uh, that that the Messiah is going to be called the son of David. Even beggars knew that son of David, have mercy on me. All the kids on the uh, on the day that when Jesus went into Jerusalem, Hosanna, son of David, because the son of David was the Messiah. Everyone knew that. Okay, (coughs) from Bethlehem. Now, let's kind of fast forward to the time of Jesus. By the time of Jesus, Jerusalem was a bustling city of about 25,000 people. I know it doesn't seem like a lot to us, but and it was the big attraction there was the temple. In fact, people, Jews from all over Judea, all over Galilee, they would come once a year, sometimes twice a year, sometimes every couple of years, they would come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and go to the temple, right? And in fact, not just from all over Israel, but there were Jewish communities all over the Mediterranean, all over the Roman Empire. And they would always kind of come. And kind of like Summit County, who has a small population, but in feast times and holiday times, like next week, there's not going to be 30,000 people here in Summit County. There's going to be 300,000 people. In, and that's the way Jerusalem was. You know, Jerusalem always, it, they said it had a population of about 25,000, but it was about 150,000 to 200,000 during the feast times. That was part of their economy, taking care of all the guests. Kind of like us, right? We should be, we can relate to that here, right? And um, so, um, and they all needed to make sacrifices. But where were they going to get all these lambs for sacrifices? Bethlehem. That was the economy of Bethlehem. Because there's a lot of 
especially around feast time, there's a lot of lambs that needed. And of course, the lambs needed to be without blemish, right? And so this, and, and by the way, how far is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Five miles. So it was kind of convenient. They have the lambs there and then they take them there. So, so Migdal Eder was a tower, but it also happened to be uh, uh, that whole area. You can see kind of the ruins of it today, uh, but there's also like several caves around and they were like the birthing center for the lambs. Because when there's lots of lambs around, what does that attract? Even more wolves and stuff like that. And so whenever lambs are ready to give birth, they would take them to Migdal Eder, where this tower and where these little caves were. And they were set up as stalls. And they're like birthing caves. And, uh, and that's where they were. Uh, that's where they were to be born. And uh, so let's go back to Luke 2 finally. And Luke 2, when the angel is talking to the shepherds who are guarding their flocks by night, you know, okay, you know the story. Verse 12, it says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Well, maybe the verse before he kind of already, verses before he says, I'm bringing you great news, great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David, Bethlehem, there is born for you a savior which is Christ the Lord. That means the Messiah. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Okay, so what was this sign? Something significant, right? For such an occasion? Well, first of all, we always think of a manger as what? Kind of like what we'll have probably here Christmas Eve, you know, kind of like a little thing with a little straw and everything. And it does mean a feeding trough, but it also means a stall, you know, like a like a little stable area. In fact, every other time that this Greek word or the Hebrew word for manger is used, it's always in reference to the stall, you know. In other words, uh, you can look at if those who want to check it out. Habakkuk 3.17 is one example. New Testament, Luke 13.15. It always is translated a stall. And everyone, all the shepherds knew, oh, the stalls, the birthing center. That's what it meant. So when they said, oh, you'll find the baby lying in a manger. Oh, the birthing center. And then when it says you'll find them dressed in cloths. It used to be the old translations in English say swaddling clothes. Yeah, I don't know how you could translate that, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, what it meant was the word was there were these long strips of clean white strips of cloth. And in the manger, in the stall, in the caves, they would actually, when a lamb was born, they would wrap up the lamb, especially their, you know, their uh, feet and stuff to keep them from scratching themselves. Why? Because these are supposed to be perfect lambs for the sacrifice. So the sign was you could find them born in a stall, in a manger, 
They knew, oh, Migdal Eder. I know, the Tower of the Flock, you know. And he's going to be wrapped up in these special claws. Oh, yeah, that was a, that was a, there's no doubt. Oh, yeah, let's go to Bethlehem now and kind of go. We know where that is because we kind of bring our lambs there all the time or, you know. And uh, so uh, that's where Jesus, that's the only place that they could find for Mary to have her baby was in these birthing caves. By the way, they're still there in Bethlehem. You know, let's put it this way. God, this is what's kind of amazing. God wanted his Messiah to be born where all the lambs destined for sacrifice in Jerusalem would be born. Why? Because Jesus is going to be our sacrifice lamb, right? He would grow up to be the sacrifice lamb to be sacrificed for the whole world. And it was going to be at Passover and it was going to be in Jerusalem. John 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, when he first sees Jesus, and he's with his disciples. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the Son of God. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a lot more beautiful story than Jesus being born in a palace in Jerusalem. Don't you? Like a lot of kings are born. So even in his birth, the circumstances pointing to his life purpose, to die as a sacrifice for us. So in this story about Bethlehem, we see God going to great lengths to work out the details of his birth. Okay, he's got to be born in, in Bethlehem, so we're going to kind of arrange a census there. And, and not only that, but to actually be there's not going to be any room in the end, so they're going to have to kind of go to the places where these sacrificed lambs are being built or being born. God had it all planned. And this whole thing about Migdal Eder, we see it all the way back in Genesis. That was a very special place for sheep to be raised and lambs. And, of course, Jesus is our Lamb of God. By the way, Micah, that's very specific in Bethlehem at Migdal Eder, written 700 years or between seven and 800 years before Jesus, probably before Isaiah. God had it all planned. And for us, we can see God is continually working behind the scenes working out the details of all his plans for every one of us. The details, sometimes we don't even see into later. You know, for some of you, probably there's a time in your life you never dreamed that you'd be living in Summit County, Colorado. Probably all of us, almost. I mean, maybe a few people were born here, you know, but not many. And God had, a, you know, he's always working out the details of things. And on a, big, on a bigger picture, he's working out his purposes on the earth in amazing, perfect ways. We can have confidence that God is working. But we have to have our eyes open to see things and to have the confidence that even when we don't see it, we believe 
and we know God is doing something. Can we believe that? Yes? Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again, we just ask, Lord, this has been our prayer the last few weeks, but we ask that you would open our eyes to see how you work, how you orchestrate details, things that maybe seem very insignificant. Sometimes they just seem very inconvenient, like having to go to Bethlehem to register. Uh, Lord, there's, there's things like that in every one of our lives. Open our eyes to see that you know what you're doing. You're always working behind the scenes. And Lord, let us have confidence also that even when we don't see it, that we know you're doing that. And Lord, we thank you that in the case of your arrival here on earth, that you went to so many details, working them out over centuries and centuries just to unfold your plan. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.